This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We are broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and we have an absolute bumper of a show lined up for you tonight for Primal Screen's final Radiothon show for 2022. And to bring this campaign home, we are, I'm joined by screenwriter and filmmaker Margot Nash. Welcome to Primal Screen, Margot. Thank you. Lovely to be here. And uh, we also have in the studio film producer Chris Luskri. Hey, Chris. Hey, Flick. Lovely to be here. And last but certainly not least, and joining us via Zoom, is director, programmer and critic Bill Masoulis. Hey, Bill. Hey, hey, Flick. Yeah. You're sounding good. Um, so, Margot, tomorrow night there will be a special screening of your 1995 feature debut, Vacant Possession, at the Thornbury Picture House, uh, which is going to be followed by a Q&A that Chris is going to be moderating. Uh, this screening is being pre- presented by Unknown Pleasures, which is a series of screenings curated by Chris and Bill um, and features some of the best independent Australian cinema, both old and new. Uh, these screenings are accompanied by discussions with the filmmakers, which is, I think, really the best way to watch cinema. So if listeners would like to come along tomorrow night, there are still some tickets available. Just head to thornburypicturehouse.com. And later tonight, we're going to take a deeper dive into Vacant Possession and talk with Margot Nash about her involvement with the Sydney Filmmakers Co-op and the Melbourne Filmmakers Co-op, as well as her short films, documentary work and her follow-up feature, Call Me Mum, and much, much more. Plus, Chris and Bill will tell us uh, some of the films and filmmakers that have been featured in Unknown Pleasures and the importance of spotlighting our film culture. Margot, firstly, it is such an honour uh, to have you on the show um, and I'm delighted that Vacant Possession will be screened at Thornbury Picture House uh, tomorrow night and that Melbourne audiences uh, will have the opportunity to either revisit this classic or perhaps discover it new. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so Vacant Possession, it's been described as one of Australia's most powerfully articulated films about the collisions of race, class and gender. This film was not only your feature debut as a director, but you also wrote the original screenplay. Um, how did the story first come about? Oh, um, I had a friend who took me down to La Perouse, which is the um, Aborig- an Aboriginal community at La Perouse, and we went down there one day and she told me there's a, a big building down there which used to be a boys' home. It's now the mm. La Perouse Museum. And she told me a story about her aunt who used to work at this boys' home. And I got really interested in... And her aunt had a... Um, she had a sort of mental disability of some mm. sort and um, I got interested in the location and that idea of um, that house, that home of that was a boy's home down there and it sort of had its 
you know, genesis around that, but also a lot of ideas that were uh, fl- floating around. But I also, um, the big thing that gave it the push was uh, I, there was this fellow at um, uh, the Australian Film Commission, Peter Sainsbury, who'd come out from England and he was giving money to people who didn't usually get money, you know, mm. to, to make, to, to write a low-budget feature. And, um, and I showed him my film Shadow Panic and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm teaching and I've got to pay the rent. And he said, well, I'll give you some money to... Well, he asked me what I was interested in and I think I talked about the idea of the, the house, the home, La Perouse, the, 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 the Botany Bay where Captain Cook came in, Aboriginal mob and white, that sort of collision. And mm. so it was very, you know, there was nothing much there. There was just a little bit. And he said, well, I'll give you some money to go off and write a script. And he gave me quite a bit of money and I bought my first, first computer. I, I walked <laughs> wow. out there and nearly had a heart attack. I, you know, <laughs> I'd just gone for a meeting and I went out with money. And um, so I had a year to – the idea was that I'd write it in a year and come back and ready to go. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't ready in a year and it took longer than that. <laughs> but um, so I used to go down to La Perouse and I used to go down to Botany Bay and – um, do a lot of research on the location and um, I knew I needed an Indigenous um, advisor mm. and I went to the Land Council at La Perouse and I eventually found um, a woman called Cathy Kum Singh who has since passed away and she became the Aboriginal advisor on the film mm. and I became very close friends with her and she stayed with the film all the way through the writing and the, the, the shoot too. So mm. it, it took quite a long time to develop the ideas and there were so many different ideas and strands of things that I was interested to play with. And um, I was thinking about today and thinking how uh, I was very inspired by a beautiful book by Gaston Bachelard called The Poetics of Space. Mm. And in, in that book, he talks about the house as a sort of like a container for memories and for yeah. an imaginative space. And the, the cellar was like the unconscious and, you know, the, the attic, the roof was like, you know, the, the ego. And, mm. you know, and I, I started to develop well, an, this idea about a little house that um, is a, the contested space, I suppose, between black and white and how I might use the different spaces in the house to go into the, the, the unconscious and also to, um, to explore sort of difficult ideas cinematically and mm. poetically. Yeah. And I love that you touch upon, I suppose, uh, you know, there's so much going on in the film, but to bring it down to something quite simple, which is the selling of a house or the possible selling of a house and the returning, a daughter returning to her family home. Um, there's moments in the film that, and the cinematography is, is exceptional in, in Vacant Possession, I have to say, <laughs> really got taken away with that. Um, that there are, it seems almost dreamlike sequences with the, the decision to, um, 
to kind of go for this sometimes aerial angle and even the fabrics that the main character is wearing, these kind of silk, uh, lots of silk nightgowns and things like that. And it really does evoke that that kind of dreamlike sense to it um, and maybe even nightmare in some scenes when we have this idea of it, maybe the ghosts of the past really coming up um, throughout it. Um I was really it's really interesting to see to hear about all the consultation work that occurred both prior to filming and also during the, during the filming itself because I think there's a real tendency to avoid this is real it's really difficult sometimes to approach something particularly when you're a white filmmaker yes to be talking about Aboriginal rights, Aboriginal politics, I think the way that Vacant Possession approaches it is really masterful. Um, I actually love a lot of um, – I forgot the niece's name. Um, Millie. Millie. She's such a fantastic character <laughs> and feels so real on screen. She gets a, perhaps um, the most comedic lines, um, but her lines are also very political mm. um, and it's lovely to couple those together, I think, those two different energies – um, because it adds a lightness and really the, the, the kind of earnestness really comes from um, uh, Tessa herself mm. and, and kind of that, that process of grieving and, and what that brings up. So there is so much to unpack within this film. Um, I'm not sure um, how – I don't want to give too much away for, for audiences who haven't yet seen Vacant Possession and I'm sure in your Q&A tomorrow you'll be able to unpack a lot more of it. Um, I did want to um, – I do think that listeners may be slightly more <laughs> tongue-tied, might be slightly more familiar with your experimental short, We Aim to Please, and we're chatting off air about Myth, um, and of course your, your short did play there, um, and it, but it was actually first distributed by the Melbourne Filmmakers Cooperative, and I understand you were a part of the Sydney Filmmakers Cooperative. Yes, yes. Um, there was a fantastic photo, actually, that Bill shared um, from your time with the cooperative. I'm not sure if it was the Sydney or Melbourne one. Bill, was, do you remember when that photo was taken? Uh, well, uh, recently I shared three photos. Mm. One was actually from uh, the Melbourne Anarchist bookstore. Oh, that no, no, it was, it was of, the free store, uh, Bill. It was, wasn't a bookstore. It was the <laughs> Anarchist it was a free store. Free yeah. store. It was like a secondhand op shop, but it was the free store. So you can't steal from the free store. <laughs> So I lived at the free store and all the Darrows used to come. We called them Darrows then. You know, the homeless men came in and changed their clothes and, you know. Yeah. Was this and, in Sydney or no, Melbourne? No, this is in Collingwood. This is in Smith Street in <laughs> Collingwood. the corner. <laughs> Before it was groovy. <laughs> I just loved it. I thought it was such a fantastic photo of you because um, and I think, Bill, you mentioned this in, in your post, but you, you're a very young woman who's surrounded by men. And um, I know that this was touched upon recently with the documentary Senses of Cinema. And I did think a lot about that kind of the dominance of, um, you know, maybe similar politics, but just the fact that you're a female filmmaker and you release this wonderful experimental short, We Aim to Please, um, caused quite a stir, I imagine. <laughs> it did cause a stir. <laughs> and um, the, the photo, the second photo that Bill posted was from... Um, I was on the editorial board of Film News up in Sydney, which was connected to the Sydney Filmmakers Co-op. We Aim to Please did was distributed by Melbourne Film Co-op, but I wasn't that involved with the Melbourne Film mm. Co-op. I went up to Sydney in 78. I got very involved in Sydney 
filmmakers co-op. But just that picture of the the free store, there is another woman in that picture. Oh, is there? Sorry, yes, my yes. apologies. I'm not the only woman. And okay. her name is <laughs> was Anne Hetherington. And she sadly passed away recently. And um, so I, I didn't want her to be left forgotten. out. Forgotten. Yeah. Thank you. And mm. um, But, yes, all the rest are blokes. Yeah, and, um, yeah. But when you see the picture of the Film News Collective, um, there's a lot of gals there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do – I want to hear more about We Aim to Please. What was your intention with We Aim to Please? Well, I didn't make We Aim to Please alone. I made mm. it with Robin Laurie and um, – she uh, she and I were really close, we're very close friends and we sort of discovered feminism together. And we um, – she was more of a filmmaker and I was more of a theatre person and somehow or other we swapped and she became theatre, more theatre and I became film. But um, she used to bring – we shared a house in Collingwood actually and she used to bring films home from where – we had a 16mm projector and project them on the wall and we just we just talked about let's make a film and um, she got me excited about film mm. and we wrote a funny little script which has been lost for posterity. It's not, There's no relation to <laughs> what We Aim to Please was. <laughs> and um, we put in it to the Experimental Film Fund and uh, we got $1,300 to make this little experimental film. Oh, wow. And then I, you know, had some relationship break up and, you know, I left the country and went to New Zealand for a while. <laughs> and, and, you know, nothing, we didn't spend the money. And they were going, well, what's happening? And I came back and um, we said, well, if we don't spend the money, we'll lose it. You yeah. Know? So yeah. We, we better spend the money. <laughs> So we started to cook up ideas and we sort of opened our shoeboxes of images, postcards, images, quotes, ideas that we'd been both collecting. And I was very interested in – I was working as a camera assistant at that point. I was I wanted to work in film. I was, mm. one, I was out of theatre. I wanted to get into film. And John Hughes had given me a gig as um, – gig a, um, <laughs> a job as the as a camp the assistant camera on his documentary film menace which was about um menzies and the attack on the communist party and so i was in charge of the camera and so i'd ring robin up and say i've got the camera overnight or i've got the, ca- <laughs> I've got the camera this weekend <laughs> and she'd come over or i'd go over to her i was living up in cardigan street faraday street corner just near the bug house yeah, yeah. and she was living at the pram factory and you know so we shot half of it at the house at cardigan street and half of it at the pram factory at her funny little bedroom that was off the back patio and We'd just say, well, let's do this bit. And we go, okay. And <laughs> she goaded me on, you know. <laughs> she, she's a great comedic talent. And she's she's wild. And so I went, oh, okay. And um, I can't blame her for all of it. But anyway, so we, we, had, we had a lot of fun. And um, uh, we... We, sh- we got short ends, we got, you know, the money sort of went on film stock and, you know, post-production really. And um, I edited it on a hand winder in my bedroom in that, that, ha- that flat that I lived in, in Cardigan Street. Across the bench, 
not even running at speed with all these different <laughs> soundtracks. <laughs> I'm winding it through and cutting it. It was cut, 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 cut. And, um, and then I'd go. I remember I used to hire John Ruane's flatbed, you know, sort of Steenbeck four-plate flatbed occasionally and put all everything through at speed and mark it up with a china graph and then I'd go back, then I'd cut it all together and it was so funky the way, I, <laughs> the way we did it. And um, so that... I got the film bug, I suppose, yeah. in, in in doing that and and finding that and you know I could, I could put something together that worked and play with image and sound and Robin would come in, of course and look at things and we'd talk and I'd change things and all of that. So it was um, and the first screening that we oh before we screened it. Um, we tried to do the sound mix and there were so many splices in the work print it wouldn't go through the projector. <laughs> so it was probably quite good that we had to mix it blind yeah. because there's really naughty bits in it. <laughs> so, so we had to mix it blind because it wouldn't go through the projector. And then the first screening we had was at the Pram Factory yeah. and everybody came, you know, everybody was, I think, was I living at the Pram then? I'm not sure. No, no, I don't think so. Um, and I remember someone shouted at the screen, this sort of bloke who'd come down from the pub, kind of, you know, I got really angry. <laughs> Challenged by it, maybe. Challenged by it, that's right. <laughs> so then it, it had a really interesting little life, really, and mm. it keeps going on and on and on. There were, somebody took it overseas and she was going up, Martha, she was, not Martha, Marsha Bennett, she took a whole lot of films to France mm. and it went some and it won a prize in France. Well, it has that real yeah. um, kind of French, um, would it be French New Wave mm. look to it as well? Well, we were a bit inspired yeah. by Godard to yeah. say the least. Yeah. You know, the, the breaking of the fourth wall mm. came from Absolutely. Godard. And um, so, yes, it was turned me into a filmmaker really. Oh, well, I'm very glad it did. And for listeners who are just tuned in, um, I am speaking with Margot Nash, who is the director of Vacant Possession, um, which is going to be screening tomorrow night. Um, Margot, aside from these wonderful shorts, um, one, of your, one of the standouts in your career for me has been your personal essay documentary, The Silences, and um, we're chatting a bit off air because I have actually wrote about mm. your, your film for Senses of Cinema. Um, I'd be really curious to know, it's such a, an emotional film. Um, what was the process of, of digging through this history like for you as a filmmaker? Um, look, it took a long time and I was working at the university, I was teaching and I, um, so I had a wage and I was, well, I was well paid. And mm. so I thought I can take my time with this mm. and I can just pay for it as I go. I don't think the funding bodies are going to give me money for this project. Mm. And it didn't have a script. What happened was I got a residency in Zurich, um, a six-week residency at Zurich University of the Arts. And um, I had six weeks. I had to do some master classes there with the students. But then I had – I was renting this apartment – this, the, these two artists who I knew, they sort of put me mm. onto this project. And um, so I, I was in this six weeks in this apartment in Zurich and 
When I went, I took everything that I thought I might need. I'd already written something that I wanted to look at, look at a, a, a hidden story in my family. Yeah. And I took everything. I'd already scanned photographs. I'd, I'd, I'd scanned my films. I'd, you know, I put everything I, I, everything I thought I might use and went off for six weeks and just was in this apartment by myself most, most of the time. And that was incredible. And I, mm. I taught myself how to use Final Cut Pro. I, I didn't, you know, I just taught myself the editing software because I was a film editor mm. and I'd, I'd become a director so I didn't know digital editing. Mm. I taught myself how to edit. I thought I'll just play. I'll teach myself <laughs> how to edit and I'll play and I'll play with the materials that I've got at hand and see what comes out of it. And I, I came back after the six weeks and I had a cut and but it needed it, it it needed quite a lot of work and it needed a restructure and it took me quite a long time to find my way through to mm. find how what was wrong with it you know and how to fix it mm. well i think it's um it's fascinating exploring that kind of um I just feel like it was a really – it's similar in some ways to Vacant Possession, the point that I was making earlier about engaging with Indigenous politics. Here in the silences, you're thinking about disability and the way in which mm. particularly mm. the way in which we really don't uh, – we don't kind of see value always in the disabled experience. And I, I just thought that was really powerful in your oh, in your um, your film. And I do highly recommend any listeners to, to check out all of your films, but I particularly love The Silences. Um, Margot, alongside your film work, um, you're also an academic um, and you continue to publish and you've been, you're still involved with a lot of different film projects and I understand you moved into photography and, and you had an exhibition last year in Sydney. What is next on the horizon for you? Um, are you allowed to say? <laughs> um, I'm making um, uh, a 20-minute short film which I always wanted to... We aim to please. Then I made a film called Shadow Panic and I thought I'd like to make a third short film and make it like a little trilogy to link them all together. And that's what I was so making a short film. It's about 20 minutes. Mm. And um, it's a bricolage again. Mm. You know, it, it's just, I've just been a bowerbird and gone back into all my films and whatever I can find. And, <laughs> um it's called Undercurrents and it's about power and it's about the world we live in at the moment, I suppose. So mm. I won't talk too much about it because well, it's still a bit fresh. Well, we'll, <laughs> get you, we'll get you back on when it's ready for sure. <laughs> um, Margot, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Um, for listeners who are interested in seeing Margot's feature debut from 1995, Vacant Possession... Uh, it's going to be on the big screen. It's screening tomorrow night at Thornbury Picture House um, as part of a special series presented by Unknown Pleasures. For more info and to book your tickets, you can head to thornburypicturehouse.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford. Um, there are just a few days left of Radiothon, so if you haven't already, please make sure you jump on to rrr.org.au and subscribe before 6pm on Wednesday to be in the running to win a whole heap of awesome prizes and to help keep Community Radio alive. Um, we are very passionate about celebrating our local film community here on Primal Screen and so it is an absolute pleasure to be joined in the studio by screenwriter and director Margot Nash, film producer Chris Loskry 
and via Zoom, director, programmer and critic, Bill Masoulis. Hey, Bill. Hello. So earlier tonight, I spoke with Margot about her 1995 film Vacant Possession, which is screening at Thornbury Picture House tomorrow night as part of a special series run by Unknown Pleasures. Bill and Chris, you are the team behind Unknown Pleasures. So how did this first start off? Um, I guess it started uh, from me, you know, I spent some time in Greece um, about 10 years ago and I think that kind of invigorated me to um, uh, do more uh, within Australia in a kind of uh, DIY kind of fashion because in Greece uh, with the crisis there, uh, no one had money and no one cared about money and they just wanted to do activities and and that kind of reminded me of how I was like uh, 30, 40 years ago, although I don't think that's ever left me. And so I came back to Australia in 2017. And then in 2018, I started doing some programming of uh, kind of indie Australian work. And and Chris started doing the same, but through the Artist Film Workshop. And then at the beginning of 2019, we basically teamed up and um, started uh, doing Unknown Pleasures officially. And initially at the Long Play venue, which is just like a little 30-seat cinema in the bar in North Fitzroy. I'm very familiar with and, Long Play. That's actually where I you? set up my film my film screening group ah, when I first started, cool, when I first moved cool. here. Yeah, it's a fantastic. It's very tiny but very cute. Look, yeah, we, we love it, but <laughs> we just kind of felt, um, yeah, uh, it was a bit small and... For some of our older people coming, it was it seemed to be also a bit awkward for them to get in there with the steps and things like that. And so, yeah, we're, we're now at the Thornbury Picture House as of the last uh, couple of years. And, mm. and COVID kind of stopped us in our tracks a bit because we were uh, really quite active in 2019 with the screenings. And I think we had, had about a, 20 had screenings or almost 20 screenings that year. Really? I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. we wow. had two per month. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, oh, in that's, 19. Yeah. That's impressive. There it, is a whole lot of work that goes into curating. And I think that obviously the focus of Unknown Pleasures is on not, um, not necessarily just spotlighting, but sometimes uncovering some of these indeed, Australian yeah, gems. Yeah. There is so much um, within the cinematic history of Australia that we have so much to be proud of. Um, but it's about getting it out there. Um, of course, we're talking about Margot Nash's Vacant Possessions, which is going to be screening tomorrow night. Chris, why did you select Margot Nash's film? Well, I mean, it's interesting because the title Unknown Pleasures, um, which, of course, refers to the New Order song, which both Bill and I love. But, um, <laughs> you know, Joy Division. It, oh, Joy Division. Sorry, History. that's right. <laughs> what am I saying? Jeez, I've got to brush up on my music. Um, no, it's, it, it, it's interesting because it, it, it has a dual meaning in our case because mm. on the one hand it refers to films that most people don't know about that have never been widely screened, which usually means they've never been properly distributed, i.e. low-budget or no-budget independent films. And that stretches through the entire history of our film practice mm. because we've never had a properly supported film culture in Australia ever. Um, and secondarily, it also refers, and this is by way of a bit of a provocation, it refers to, to this idea of a film that may have, have had a space or a time at some point but is now sort of disappeared from circulation for a variety mm. of reasons, not least of which the problems with the um, which we have in Australia around keeping our film libraries alive, like the yes. NFSA is chronically defunded, vacant possession, which is, uh, uh, I think, a, a, um, one of the Australian masterpieces of the 90s, um, is a film that Margot herself had to restore 
Um, so she's restored the film beautifully, I might add, from an interpositive, um, which you can sort of weigh in on, I think, because it was a beautiful um, process. Uh, I worked with Ray Argel, um, who's a filmmaker and a cinematographer, and um, Ray and I had worked on restoring a short film that I'd, I'd worked on with a group of women called Bread and Dripping, and mm. he did such a beautiful job, and he also restored my film Shadow Panic, and... Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the restoration of, of vacant possession. Um, I'd, I'd had an attempt at restoring it once before from a 35mm print and mm. what, it didn't look very good. And But I had a, an interpositive that I had made to use clips in the silences mm-hmm. that we'd only f- colour graded the clips I'd used. So I had this interpositive that needed to be put together. So Ray and... And I, and I did that and um, good old, put all, pulled all the pieces together and Ray did – I think he's done a fantastic job of restoring it. It looks beautiful. Mm. It was going to screen on the big screen in MIF and um, and then, of course, COVID, but it did screen uh, on MIF Play yeah. Um, yeah, yep. last year. So – um, but this will be on the screen, which mm. would be so beautiful. I actually haven't seen the restoration on with an audience. Screen. Oh, wow. I've seen, it on a <laughs> cinema, I've seen it on a cinema screen when we had – Ray and I had screenings to approve and things. But I haven't seen it with an audience. Mm. And um, the National Film and Sound Archive, they restored We Aim to Please and they restored For Love or Money, which mm. is another film that I worked on. But they, they, they don't – they don't have enough money They're chronically to, underfunded. They're chronically yeah. underfunded. Yep. So I knew I had to pay for it. So John mm-hmm. Winter, who's the producer, and I, we, we had some screen rights money that had come in from when it had screened on NITV mm. and we both put our money into that and then I paid for the rest. It's so interesting hearing um, you chat before, Margot, about your experiences as an early filmmaker and how sometimes it was people saying, look, I'm willing to give you this money or giving you equipment. Equipment costs a huge amount of money. And... I think what's really fascinating with chatting with you both, um, Bill and, and Chris, is also about creating a space for it and putting value right. into it. Yeah. Because, because when we're not getting community, funding. right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, I mean, Margot mentions, it, just in the space of the, the conversation we've had, she's mentioned Ray Argel, she's mentioned John Ruane, I think you might have mentioned Jenny Thornley before. Um, you know, John the, Hughes. John Hughes, yeah. Robin Laurie, of course. The, you know, the way in which Australian independent filmmakers have tended to work for the most part and because, you know, there are so many filmmakers that, that, that people tend to occupy the independent space more in Australia than they do in maybe some of the other national industries. But what's really fascinating is the sort of communities, somewhat ad hoc yeah. communities that get formed around constellations yeah. of people. Maybe by necessity. By necessity, <laughs> but also it's what creates mm. culture. Yeah, and, you know, that's right. There's so many fascinating intersections between the Pram Factory, La Mama Theatre, where we did a screening of We Aim to Please last year or earlier this year, rather, and, and, you know, the Sydney Filmmakers Co-op, the Melbourne Filmmakers Co-op, there are all these constellations of communities around Australia that Unknown Pleasures is really our attempt in whatever provisional limited way we can do it, because, of course, we we don't have any funding to do this, to pay homage and draw a spotlight to that that history. Mm. Um, So Margot's the the perfect filmmaker and Baker Possession is the perfect film to do that with because it also is a, a great leap forward in in if I may say it, in your filmmaking because it's your first industrial film. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the manner in which you realised that on a pretty substantial budget for the time for the kind of film was just remarkable. Well, I had a fantastic crew. 
and um, Dion Beebe, you mentioned the cinematography. Oscar Oscar yes. Well, he yeah. went on. I, I sort of picked him almost straight out of film school. He'd done one feature. <laughs> That's I thought, right. He's good. And, um, <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> whoop, off he went. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so I, I was lucky. I had a great crew. Mm. Um, you talked about the costumes in Vacant mm. Possession. And that was Clarissa Patterson. And she, she had a beautiful sort of approach to the transformation of the character, of the main character. Mm. She's a, she's, she's, I wrote her as a gambler who's kind of come home trying to clean up her act and everything and she wants to get, you know, the inheritance from the house and she fights with her sister. So when she comes back, she's in this incredible red outfit and she's all t- tough and everything. And gradually she ends up in very soft clothes and beigey colours. And that was Clarissa who, mm. you know, who brought that kind of emotional transformation of the character through costume, which was uh, that was wonderful. Mm. And it's so expressive. The whole film has this in- incredible kind of cinematic language and this rhythm to it that sort of sits, it oscillates between dreamlike, the, the, the dreamlike and the irreal and the, the spectral. And, you know, one of the things that, that I'm also constantly fascinated by in the film is the way in which um, there are so many entry and exit points for the viewer. And I think that's testament to the, the film as a work of, of personal cinema as well because you're, you're clearly working through and exploring your own feelings in relation mm-hmm. to space and in mm-hmm. indigeneity and your own heritage mm-hmm. and your own positioning as a creative person and as a, as, a, as, a, as a woman within that story, within that landscape. And it strikes me as particularly um, exceptional within the context in which the times, because this was pre, you know, the um, rise of Indigenous filmmaking in the mid to late 90s, of yes. course. Well, that's well. right. Well, that's interesting because the timing of it, I mean, the funding actually, it was largely due to the funding in the 80s. So that's right, yeah. there was the idea of it, but it didn't, yeah, you're right, it didn't come into play really until the early 2000s. Yeah. And well, then really. I remember yeah. when, when I was working at the Fil- Sydney Filmmakers Co op and we had a black film worker, yeah. you know, and Madeleine McGrady and Jerry Bostock, they were the black film worker, they were the black film unit. Mm. And, you know, the, 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 the desire, the dream was there amongst Aboriginal mob. They wanted to make films and um, Tracy Moffat was around the co-op too and and a woman called Lorraine Maffey-Williams who mm. has since passed away. She's actually uh, in Shadow Panic and I worked on a film with her. So there was the beginnings of all of that before the, you know, the, the Film Commission put um, structures in place that actually was... A, you know, a supported Indigenous talent. And mm. look, look how that's borne fruit. Mm. Now it's the First Nations and Protocol, which is the best thing Screen Australia's done in over a decade. Amazing. Mm. And um, so, so many wonderful um, Indigenous filmmakers. And, um, and, and you know, I, I was thinking about also the, in casting the film... Um, it was hard to find Aboriginal actors. There were some around, but to be specific to the little girl, the old lady and everything, now there'd be heaps, you know, you'd have such a choice, but then no. Mm. And I ended up casting Cathy Cumsing's mother, Rita, as Auntie Beryl. Oh, she's wonderful. <laughs> she's so fantastic. <laughs> I just met her around the kitchen table. She was so great. Yeah. And I think she did a really good job. And um, so I think the... the We've we've witnessed an amazing change in in that since I made that film. Mm. I, I wouldn't get the money to make that film again. 
Yeah, well, that, that's the, the kind of the fascinating thing, really. And I, I suppose, like, um, film, um, you know, f- screening series like Unknown Pleasures, what you, you and um, what Bill and Chris have set up here. So interesting because uh, a few weeks ago I talked um, about uh, de- de- uh, dog milk degustations mm. and um, we had FEA Films, which is like a smaller <laughs> collective. But there's lots of different film screening groups that yeah. you're starting to see around. Um, you mentioned before um, Chris's work in the Artist Film Workshop, which is, um, you know, that's another way of like bringing people in and creating a sense of community. It's curation, though, there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of responsibility. And um, Bill, can you talk a bit to that, the responsibility of what you're hoping? Or do you have like an idea of what you want to achieve through the screening? It, there, there is tremendous uh, responsibility because uh, on the one hand, you want to, um, we want to, uh, highlight um, obviously kind of uh, very important um, kind of milestone uh, films and filmmakers uh, of the last 50, 60 years of Australian independent filmmaking. But but we also want to make sure that the really kind of unknown kind of person is given a, a slot as well. And 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 I'm, I, I, I do spend quite a bit of time scouring the internet looking for names and maybe filmmakers I've never heard of. And a lot of the time, not much comes up. But then some people, some filmmakers hear of me and they contact me. Mm. Um, and, and that's kind of, um, that, that works well. It's like a, an ecosystem that kind of works. And I don't know. I mean, Chris and I are finding that we've got so many ideas of things we want to put on. You know, we've, we've literally got 100, 150 different films and filmmakers we'd love to put on straight away but you know I guess time you know we'll just kind of work our way through that and um and hopefully you know be of valuable service to the film culture around at the moment I think also the the digital revolution changed everything because Mm. it it means that people can film things on their mobile phones Mm. or they can edit in their lounge room I mean I edited in my bedroom back then but it was different (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on film, but then you had to hire big cameras, mm. and yeah. the film cost a lot of money, and you could only shoot a small amount. And so, um, yeah, I made the sciences just at home on my computer mm. with a, a and and I mean, there's a certain point you have to take it into post production. You've got to pay money and get it done properly. Yeah, yeah. But um, it it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of stuff at the moment because. There's a lot of film schools, digital yeah. technology has facilitated people and, uh, um, you know, making making work and expressing themselves right. and yeah. and also the the distribution, you know, yeah. we, were, we were dependent upon the film co-ops because yes. the, the, the big distributors wouldn't, weren't going to touch our work but now, you know, you can – you can put your film up on YouTube, or you yes. can, there's a whole range of ways of doing things. Though, yeah, they can we be. all still love film festivals. <laughs> it's funny because I also yeah. think it's harder for audiences. The or, the audiences that might respond to your work, I think it's harder now than it's ever been. In some ways, for those people to access your work through the glut, the jungle of, that's of right. con- yeah. content, quote-unquote, yeah. that's, that's out right. there. That's right, yeah. You get overwhelmed. So that's why well, curation is so, such an yeah. important thing because it helps the audiences who might really respond to the work to find it yeah so you need you need we need you know healthy curation in a film culture especially a film culture devoted to personal cinema um in totally order to agree. help drive yes. audiences to the to the work that mm. they most 
would best serve them, I suppose, is one way of putting it. Yeah, and it, and it creates a community around yeah. that curation. I think that's really important. And, yeah. and like you touched upon, I think it can sometimes be a bit of cynicism around technological advances, particularly like this shift to the digital spaces or um, streaming. You know, streaming or or YouTube films and things like that. But it's also often breaking down barriers. Mm. And, and when we talk, we're talking a bit off air about access, I mean, it's really creating access. And I think curation is such a crucial part of that as well. Well, I think that's right. Because, <laughs> you know, we all know that when you, we go on TV, there's nothing much on television. And then you go on the streaming services mm. and there's hundreds that's and right. hundreds of films. <laughs> yes. You don't know where to go. So, you know, my sister comes, rings me from New Zealand and says, what can I watch? You know, what's, all, what's good? You know, you're always yes. giving sort of advice to people or, or going, have you seen anything good recently That's so right. that you can find a way through yes. all the stuff? And curation yeah. is different from programming, right? Because mm. programming, most, most, uh, most especially now, is largely market-driven. Yeah. Cu- yep. The importance of curation is that it should never be market-driven. Programming is one thing, but curation needs to put the mm. cultural value mm. of yes. the work Front and center, and that's and that's something that Bill and I try try to do is that we don't ever make, also because we're largely a non for profit uh, venture, like any money that we receive just goes into the next screening. We don't yeah. make any fees, you know. So so for us, it's it's really about putting cinema as an art form front and center, and not worrying mm. about some of the other considerations that might limit other kinds of programming that you might see it yeah. as a larger institution, not naming any names, where they're more res- uh, there's more of a need to get. Um, a certain kind of uh, audience presence. Yes, that yeah. We I'm really looking really looking forward to tomorrow night because it, I, I understand it's a lovely little cinema. It's mm. a small cinema, so it's a sort of more intimate space yeah. for discussion. Yep. And that reminds me of the filmmakers' co-op, totally. Yes. Where we had a small cinema and we showed you know films that came from overseas that we would never have seen otherwise because they would never have been on television, and mm. we had. You know, people like Megan Morris would come and talk and about film theory and, yes. you know, Liz Gross. <laughs> you, you know, they have all these great speakers and, yeah. and, and it encouraged sort of discussion and, yeah. and inquiry and made people curious to, to explore ideas. And in that small space, I think, it's, it's a, I think that's a great idea to have a little cinema that's not too huge mm. and overwhelming. A little cinema for some very big ideas, and if <laughs> and you want to, ones that germinate new seeds from yes, things as well. That's right. Absolutely, and um, if you would like to um, come along to that screening and Q and A, vacant possession is going to be screening tomorrow night at the Thornbury Picture House. Just head to thornburypicturehouse.com.au, or you can also check out um, the Unknown Pleasures website, which is Chris. Could you? Uh, it I don't play. It's got a funny name, it doesn't does it? Have, it's <laughs> it's uh, it, 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 the domain it name is Pure Shit Oz. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Is that a reference um, to the film? <laughs> it is. Uh, oh. it's, it's a reference to, yeah, yeah. the film. Uh, <laughs> I figured if you're going to make a, a website, um, you know, devoted to Australian independent cinema, why not use the film <laughs> Pure Shit as your uh, moniker? Very, and, yeah. um, and the director of Pure Shit is very happy for us to do that as well. <laughs> he is. That was, so, um, yeah. that was honestly one of my favourite films, uh, Discoveries of Myth this oh, year. Cool. So, um, oh, really? Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and amazing. Yeah. funnily enough, I found a DVD copy at uh, one of our last remaining DVD stores uh, in Richmond. So you can yeah, check it out. That's really oh, rare. Do you remember what it's called? I'll, I'll work it out. When we, we'll go to a cart right now. <laughs> it's picture search, isn't <laughs> I'll show it? You. I think it's something like that. Yeah, I'll check it search, now. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, it has been such a wonderful discussion. I have had screenwriter and director Margot Nash, film producer Chris Loscrew, and via Zoom, director, programmer and critic Bill Masoulis. Thank you all for your time tonight. Um, before we sign off, Margot, the, the title, Vacant Possession. Well, the title's a pun on the idea of terra nullius because when I made the film it was in the lead up to the Mabo decision and so it's about the little house that's going to be sold so it's vacant possession of the house but it also it's a pun on the idea of empty country empty land which of course it wasn't empty mm. but and, and the house is not empty either no of so. course not <laughs> so. there is so there is so so much to unpack with this beautiful film and I am very much looking forward to your discussion tomorrow night um, do head to thornburypitcherhouse.com.au to get your ticket Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 